their brokenness so that they can minister to other broken women. God loves to take nothing and make it something. He breathed breathed into dirt, and that's why you're here right now. Read Genesis. And God is breathing on this generation. He's speaking. We have to hear the sound. There's a prophetic trumpet of God, and it's calling you to be a reformer. It's not calling you into a systematic learning what reformation is. Oh, God is reforming the church. What does it mean? It means he's shifting. He's realigning. In Ezekiel 37, you see a picture of God breathing on his church, the children of Israel. And he told the prophet Ezekiel, God says, do you see these dry bones in the valley? Can they live? Ezekiel's smart. Lord, you know. That's a good answer if you don't really know the answer. God, you know the answer to that thing. But he wanted to hear. And then he said, you know what? They can live and I want you to prophesy to them. In other words, don't just pray that they can live. Prophesy to them. Stand up and do something about it. You know, in in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is moved with compassion for the people. And he says that he healed their sickness, disease. And he says he was moved with compassion. And then he says, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And then he didn't stop right there. The next verse says, basically, as soon as he prayed it, he began to answer his own prayer and his own decree to pray for that. And he sent the disciples out. And Ezekiel's told to prophesy to the dry bones. And what happens? The four winds, north, south, the east, the spirit, the ruah is the Hebrew word for, for wind, spirit, breath. The breath of God comes and breathes on the dry bones. And they revive, but they also reform because they formed and took shape and shifted and aligned as the army of the living God. We've got to embrace what God's doing. Now, what he's doing now is reformation and revival. We've been talking about it for some time. But we can't allow that to box what he's doing. It's just one of the best ways to describe it. Some say, well, you know, we've had revival, now we need reformation. Well, we had the reformation, now we need revival. We need a revolution. And and we're, we're always constantly trying to define what God's doing. It's what happened in Matthew 16. Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? Well, some say Elijah. Some say, what kind of revival's happening? Well, it's kind of like the Toronto blessing. Well, it's kind of like the, you, you can't, you, we have to stop putting labels. Well, it's kind of like the charismatic movement, the river movement. Just stop all that. It's Jesus. And we want a clear revelation of who he is. And we, be, we want to become his bride to a dying world. And God is reforming his bride. He's awakening us and he's reforming us. And let's embrace it. One of the definitions that the Lord gave me for reformation is when a revelation causes a revolution in the heart of man and progresses outwardly. Something happens on the inside. God speaks to us. It could be as simple as everything's going to be okay. Peace. And then you have something in you, you can bring peace to people that have storms in life. It could be something like, like someone's addicted to something. God comes and says, you're free. And then you have a key of liberty to set other people free because it's, it's the power of your testimony that demonstrates Jesus to them. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Or the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's what the scripture says. We have to learn that this reformation becomes unstoppable when we take on the form of what God has spoken over us as a generation. Did you hear what I just said? We have to understand that this movement is unstoppable. The enemy cannot stop. He tried in Moses' day when God was raising up a deliverer. Kill all the babies. 
He tried in the time of Jesus when Herod sent out to kill all the children. He tried in, this, in, in the last few generations with abortion, but the enemy cannot stop what God is doing in this generation. We liken it to Lazarus being behind the tomb. You all know the story in John chapter 11. Lazarus is dead four days. There's no hope for him. He stinks. That's what a lot of people say about this rebellious emo generation. They're all depressed and and there's no hope for them. They're in darkness. They're behind a tomb. But God says something different. And and Martha is like, no, 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 you you don't want to roll the the, the stone away. He stinks, Lord. And Jesus says, you're going to see the dead raised. Move the stone away. And then he declared his voice, listen, his voice said, Lazarus, come forth. I'm telling you, the voice of God, there's a prophetic sound calling reformers to come forth in this generation. What, how the world looks at this generation, says, oh, there's no way they can really change the world. People are rising up. Things are happening in the spirit. Signs and wonders are breaking out all over the planet. We've got to awaken in the time that we live in. Do you realize, I think if we just had a glimpse in the spirit of what God is doing in the spirit realm all over the world, do you realize that there is almost half of the planet that claim to be Christians? At one point, it was about 12. It was about 120 in an upper room 2,000 years ago. In the last century, oh man, in the last century, From the restoration of the moving of God's spirit from Azusa Street, we've seen millions, hundreds, hundreds of millions come into the kingdom of God. I mean, think about that. There's a reformation taking place. There's a revolution taking place. It starts in the heart of man. A reformation is not a title. Reformation is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's got to become who we are. And something rises up on the inside of us and we have to embrace the shift. Jesus calls his disciples that follow him apostles. Those with delegated authority, not a, not a common Hebrew title. As a rabbi would call disciples, say, you need to follow me. I want you to follow, live with me. I want you to learn the way. Not just what I teach, but what I do. Live the way. It's the, it's the, the Latin word ortho. Praxis. We, we were so good at orthodoxy. We memorize scripture. We have the right belief. You know, we have, we believe on our, on our websites as churches, but God wants to move us to right living where we live with substance and evidence and we become what God has spoken over us as a generation, as a people. I become what God has spoken over me as a man of God, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father. And there's something about getting this revelation from heaven. Jesus designated them apostles in Luke 6, 13. We have to become apostolic. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about a, uh, a denomination. Some of you may be, be, have you ever been in an apostolic church and the, and the women have long hair, long dresses, no makeup, and uh, thank God for makeup, covers a multitude of sin, hallelujah. And did I say that out loud? My bad. I'm just trying to make you guys laugh. It's quiet in here. But I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about understanding that we're sent and commissioned by God. What does that mean? That means that not everyone here is an apostle, but we're all called to be apostolic because we're all sent and co- we have, it's a commission and we're sent by the king to proclaim the good news to every living creature. And there's something about understanding what an apostle did. It was, it was defined in the very word that it was in the Roman culture like a general or a captain that would come into a city and take territory 
and say, I'm going to teach you a new culture. This is how we do it in Rome. And so as apostles, we're called to come into a, a territory and a culture and say, this is how heaven's culture is. It's about love. This is how heaven's culture is. You want to know what a functional family looks like? Well, we're learning that together as we learn Papa God's love. We're reformers. It's a love revelation. It's a love revolution. God is transforming us. I love the story of Peter getting this revelation from God. Matthew 16, many of you know it. I'm going to recap a little what we talked about last week. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks, who do they say that I am? Everyone's looking for a clear revelation of Jesus. Amen. Eminem. Well, the real, whatever his name is, please stand up. Well, the real Jesus, please stand up. The world is tired of of this, this image of Christ. You know, we, we, see God, we see people demonstrating the gospel with signs that, that of condemnation and a condescending message. That is not the gospel. I mean, listen, the woman caught in adultery is a perfect image of what the gospel is. I'm not condemning you, but get up and don't sin anymore. And we've got to demonstrate the love of God. And in this, in this verse here in Matthew 16, they're like, who do men say that I am? And I'm Peter speaks up. He st- we, we need to understand God wants to breathe on us as a reformer generation. And we got, sometimes we've got to speak up and stand up for righteousness. And there's like a justice that burns on the inside of me where we say, you know what? I'm tired of the, the, the past. I'm tired of the way it is. I want the real deal. Do you know that this generation is, it's it just so fitting this generation is like that. Our youth today are like, we want the real deal. The children know when adults are fake and when they're not. That's why children's ministry is so profound because they know when you're in the flesh. You're trying to teach them about Jesus, and they're like, this sucks. <laughs> we did children's ministry for a long time. They know, don't they? And it, it helps you be real. Didn't Jesus say, you come to him like a child, and you'll enter in the kingdom of God? This generation is standing up saying, we're sick of the past. We want the real deal. I want a real revelation. Peter stands up and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus says something so profound. He says, that's right, Peter. You didn't get this by another person, but the, the father revealed it to you. And he says, and you're the rock. Many get it confused. And, well, he, the Catholics think he was the first pope, and, and he's the foundation of the church. And it was the revelation, but it was also what Jesus was speaking about him. He's saying, you're going to become like a rock. You're no longer going to be that flaky fisherman that doesn't want to leave his nets and goes back to his nets and then falls on his face and says, where else can I go? You alone have the words of life. I mean, right after this instance, you see in the same chapter, Jesus is like, I have to be crucified. It's something that I need to do. And he's like, no, no, Lord, you can't do that. And Jesus calls him Satan. Can you imagine one minute he's like, good boy, you learned, you're listening to the Holy Spirit. The next minute, listen, Satan, get behind me. But Jesus is prophesying to him, and he's saying, you're the rock. In other words, what God is revealing to this generation, we're going to become like. And it's something about a revelation, and he's telling him, he's saying, listen, what God speaks to us, we're to step into becoming about that revelation about us. It's one thing to have a message. It's another to become a message. Amen. We're living epistles, read by all men. We're not just blabbing and quoting scripture, and we are living epistles. We are living the love of God. The love of God just pours out of us and who we are. Doesn't it say in in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power and demonstration. 
John Wesley says, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. We cannot tolerate just having a message. We must allow God to form in us so that we can become the message. I love what he said here. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they're clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. There's something about justice that arises as we embrace the shift, as we embrace the revelation of what God is saying about us. Martin Luther King Jr., we all know who he is, over 40 years ago, stood up for racial injustice. I love Martin Luther King Jr. I absolutely abhor prejudice and racism. I don't like churches that are all one color. Because heaven doesn't look like that. I love the Latino community. Oh, Jesus Cristo, I want to learn Spanish. I love the African-American community because you all got rhythm and you need to teach us something. I love the Asian community because, man, P.F. Chang's has the bomb food. Listen, we've got to start looking and saying, if, if this isn't right, this is, if it's supposed to look like heaven. Martin Luther King Jr. was a reformer. Listen, he says, A genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus. I'm not happy with the status quo. I'm going to mold the consensus. What are you saying? What are you doing? I'm going to stand up and I'm going to hear what you have to say. Here's what he said. A man who won't die for something is not fit to live. Forty years after he he preached or, or spoke the I have a dream, it was preaching. It was anointed. I could sit and listen to it and just, wow, 40 years, a generation later, an African-American is elected as the president of the United States. Well, I don't like his policies. Oh, be quiet and pray for your leader. Oh, I'm a Republican. Oh, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a Libertarian. I'm an Independent. Listen, you're a Christian. Stop all that stuff. The kingdom of God... And the system of the world are two different things. Amen. And we've got to start honoring our leaders. But listen, when, when, when that happened, I'm telling you, racial walls, racism was exposed. Even in the church, Christians, oh, I can't believe it. Just, it sickened me. I sat and I prayed with my kids. I said, do you realize what's happening right now? This is historic, children. And we're praying. And I'm like, let's pray for our new president. Because racial walls are coming down. I started telling them about a reformer named Martin Luther King Jr. Who sowed seeds of reformation for another generation. There's something about getting a revelation from God. Let me tell you what arises within us is we have a love for justice. Say a love for justice. Number one, embrace the shift. Number two, a love for justice. I actually have points to this message. Amen. Psalm 45, 7. Psalm 45 is beautiful. It's about the Messiah and his bride. The Messiah is the anointed one, the one appointed by God, the one approved by God, the one commissioned by God to come and bring freedom to the captives, to bring divine justice. Luke 4, 18. In Isaiah 61, the first message Jesus preached, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Hello, that scripture never gets old. To heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, this verse right here is is part of the, it's almost like it's the backbone to him being the anointed one. I want you to look at this, Psalm 45, 7. 
love for justice. It says this, you love the right and hate the wrong. And that is why God, your very own God, poured fragrant oil upon your head, making you as a king from among your dear companions. Wow, a love for right and a hate for wrong. In other words, there is a fear of the Lord, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It says in Isaiah 11:1, 1, the spirit of fear of the Lord will be upon him, will rest upon him. The spirit of counsel and might. And there's something that's, that's so profound in this to me that we understand that the anointing carries a spirit of divine justice with it. When we look at a situation and we may, maybe it's whatever kind of injustice, it's the shedding of innocent blood, abortion, we say that's not right. We look at a war and we, we, we try to justify it as Christians. Say, well, you know, we're, we're just, you know, we're protecting Israel. Well, you know, forget all of that and just think about the shedding of innocent. Well, we need to kill all the Muslims. Really? God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Why do you think that they're having visions of a man? Now, the institution of the nation does their thing. We support and we honor the king. But as believers, we are not called to shed blood but pray. Some of you are, are looking a little confused, but that's okay because we're called to be reformers and maybe I'm reforming your theology a little bit. I'm a believer before I'm an American. I'm a Christ follower. Before I honor the flag, I honor Jesus. And there's something about the shedding of innocent blood, a love for justice. And you think about abortion, you think about the orphan spirit all across the globe. Those of you that have seen Slumdog Millionaire, wow, what a movie. Where these orphans that are literally, they take their eyeballs out and they cut their limbs off and, and, and they, it helps them get more money. And these, these horrible people, they basically run, it's a, it's, a, it's a business over there and they take little orphan kids and they make them beggars and they get more money because they're maimed or lame. There's this scene in the movie where there's an orphan girl and, and there's a, two orphan boys and one of them's trying to be a little tougher, you know, because he's hurt, he's hurt. And there's this little orphan baby and the little girl's like, we gotta take the baby and the baby's crying. The little boy's like, put the baby down because he's like one of the leaders. And he's about to drop the baby. And he's like, I'm gonna drop the baby and the little girl steps in and grabs it and it's this picture of an orphan spirit begotting another orphan spirit. That's unjust, church. But you got orphans and apartment complexes all over this place. And we have a responsibility to bring justice to those that are oppressed. Martin Luther King Jr. said, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. I said it last service and I want to say it again it makes me think of all the things that we have to complain about, about church. We're so concerned with our narrow confines of our concerns that we forget about divine justice outside the four walls. When we're all learning community, where we're learning to love each other, we're learning not to be offended over the smallest thing. I don't like the worship, or I don't like this, or the pew's not comfortable, and how come the church is warm in the morning, and, and we're complaining and going on and on and on. You know, when I went to the Philippines for two weeks, those people were so happy, and it was the muggiest, hottest 
worst environment. They got fans blowing. There, no air conditioning. I, I had sermon notes flying. I'm like, Holy Spirit's like, you're going to have to rely on me this time. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. Why are these people so happy? Because they're grateful. They're not so concerned with the, with, and confined with their stuff. Martin Luther King Jr. said it best. He says, you're not living until you think about the broader concerns of all humanity. How about social injustice? How about the injustice of the shedding of innocent blood? All throughout the scripture, God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Do you? It burns in the heart of God. It burns in the heart of those that follow him. Psalm 72, 12 through 14. For God will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. Listen, for precious is their blood in his sight. The blood that is being shed is so precious to God. It's precious. Divine justice is the message. It always has been. There's an enmity God put in the woman and every person that's alive today came from Eve and there is a righteous enmity. God said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the enemy. And there's a holy hatred. There's a divine justice. It's, it's, it's in our conscience. We just, that's not right. Not only should we have a love for justice, listen, point three, and then we'll be closing in just a few. Number three, we need to have justice for love. What are, what are you saying? I'm saying that sometimes we burn with, with justice and we, we have a good conscience, but we can't just have and be conscientious about people going to hell. We have to have a heart for the fact that they're a living creation of God. And so we need to have our justice must be for the sake of love. Listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but not neglect the more important things. It's not just about being right or wrong. It's not just about seeing things better. You know, religion sometimes will mask as as good works and good behaviors, and they can burn for justice, but justice must be founded for the sake of the agape love of God. It says this isn't right. Listen, here's an example. I want you to think about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. See, it was merciful and just for Jesus to say, where are your condemners? He looked at the Pharisees. says, he's without sin among you, cast the first stone. Phenomenal story. I absolutely love that story. Every time I preach it, I get more revelation of the love of God from it. And we're so quick, well, I'm for the death penalty. Think about it. I, I, I know you're getting political, Pastor. No, no, no. It's, it's the kingdom of God. It's a new way. We need to stop thinking, in, in thinking about it in that sense. It's the kingdom culture. Wow. Jesus looked at it a little bit differently, didn't he? Even the Pharisees, that was the law of Moses. But look at the story. It was just... Jesus had a love for justice, but it was an act of God's grace by freeing her from sin. And it was the love and grace of God that said, go and sin no more. I'm going to say this to you. It says, freeing her from being stoned is a just act of God's mercy. Freeing her from sin was an act of God's loving grace. See, God's grace or his mercy will stop an injustice, but his grace will give retribution, restoration, and bring you into destiny and freedom. 
And that is what having justice for the sake of love is. For love's sake. People are singing about a love revolution, and I'm telling you it's happened. You think about the the protesting for abortion, which is just. But then some of the protesters are shooting the doctors. That's not justice for the sake of love. See, it's just to to say you shouldn't kill your baby within your womb. But it's it's having a justice for the sake of love to say we're going to help you raise this baby. I know everyone's rejecting right now because you you stepped out and you you know you had premarital sex and now you have a baby but God has a plan. So as the church we can't just stand up for justice. No, I'm just righteousness, right? Preach, preach Jesus. We have to preach his love and his grace. Say, we're going to help you. We can't protest uh, abortion clinics if we're not helping all the teen pregnancies. Basic is one of the number one in the nation right here in our backyard. Let's have justice for the sake of love. Psalm 103.6, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all those who are oppressed. I believe sometimes even our evangelism is a love for justice. We have a good conscience, but not justice for the sake of love. It's one thing to have a conscience that, well, people are going to hell, so I got to preach. It's another to have God's heart and weep over your city. God, give us your heart. I want to hear the prophetic sound of revelation for this generation. God is breathing on the church today. And I'm going to tell you, Everyone that's here, first service. First service was packed. Doesn't happen in the summer months. Why? God's moving. Recognize it. Grab a hold of it and recognize this. The prophetic sound of God is is declaring to you, arise as a reformer in your generation. No longer will we just sit by when innocent blood is being shed. Oh, God, give us your heart. Oh, God, give us your heart. We embrace the shift. We want a love for justice, but we also want justice for the sake of love. I want you to begin to pray right now for your city, for your families. I want you to begin to intercede right now, please, and just begin to pray and hear the prophetic call of God. You say, well, I'm not equipped. I, you don't understand. I was an accident. No, 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 no. He has, you're his dream. His plans are to prosper you. He, he's called you. You know, many times God will take the uneducated, just like the disciples. It even says in the book of Acts, they were uneducated, but they knew they'd been with Jesus. And there's some people here that feel like, well, I don't know. I know I'm called to do something. Listen, God is calling you to be a revivalist and a reformer. I want to ask you, if you feel this call on your life and you feel like you want to stand up for this love revolution, for divine justice, I want to ask you to do that right there. I want to ask you, don't look around. I want you to stand right where you are and say, I'm standing up for all injustice. There's something about just having the heart of God and the reality of our condition and the condition around us to wake us up Sometimes a death in the family will do it. Sometimes, you know, unfortunately, there are casualties of war. We live in a sinful world. There's an enemy out there, and sin leads to death. And thank God for eternal salvation. But I want to just share with you now, it's time to get serious about our city and our community.
because the Lord is executing righteousness and justice on behalf of all them that are oppressed. I want you to lift your hands and ask him right now, Lord, I pray that you'd breathe on me the spirit of reformation and revival. Ask him right now. You're made for it. You're made for it. You're made for it. I'm telling you, Henderson is already known for revival. You're stepping into it right now. Lord, break the chains that bind us now in Jesus' name. There's repentance taking place all over this room right now. Some of you repenting from overt sins and things, and you're just turning to God. What if we all just said yes to Jesus? What would happen? When my wife and I felt called to Henderson, we had to say yes. I didn't want to come. My wife, she came kicking and screaming. Then God began to give us a heart for the one. We'd go out, we'd look for the one. We'd say, God, I just, I want to go minister to the one. Where's that one orphan that has never been embraced by a father? Where's the prostitute that the reason she's living this way is because daddy abused her? I want to go and bring divine justice in the earth. But it takes you to say yes, church. God is not going to do it without you. It's a commission. You're a co-laborer and a co-heir in the kingdom of God. Jesus said there, there's such a ripe harvest out there, but the laborers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. And then what does the Lord of the harvest do in the next verse? Matthew chapter 10, he sends laborers. And he says, go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Freely you've received, now freely give. Listen, freely you've received, now freely give. What's given for free is sometimes treated as free. Wake up, church. You have been saved for such a time as this. There's a divine purpose in the earth for you. The church is alive and well and reproducing. Come on, somebody. Wake up. next to you. Grab their hand and squeeze it and just begin to pray for them right now. Just pray for them right now. Come on. Just say God's purpose in your life. God's purpose in your life. God's plan. Say yes. We surrender. We surrender to you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. We embrace the shift, the realignment, the reformation of the army of God. I see an army. Dead in a tomb. I see a raised man. He, he even needed a little community to help him get out of those grave clothes. Thank God for community. Can't do it alone. So, Lord, we just speak destiny. We speak destiny. There's, I'm, I'm looking at a bunch of missionaries and preachers and businessmen and, and I'm looking at some politicians. I'm looking at people that will rise as these, these days that we live in, the army of God arising to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. And Lord, we say yes. Take a few moments and just declare over the person next to you, everything the enemy has spoken over you be broken now what God has said about you. That revelation from heaven. What what does the Father say over you? Wage the warfare over the prophecies spoken over you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
it, just now lift your hands to heaven, and I want you to seal it with a chorus, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, and we're going to dismiss you.
Thank you.